welcome back to Kind of Cute. And if you're new here, welcome. My name is Bailey Evan. I'm your host. And on Kind of Cute, we discuss articles from the cut and my general pop culture musings. Whew, y'all. The last couple weeks have been a doozy. That's why there was a hiatus of Kind of Cute. Last time I talked to you, I was telling you how Gurgi was not doing well. He was throwing up. Thank you for everyone who sent well wishes to him. Well, lo and behold, the very next day, I had to take him into surgery. He had to stay at the vet's office overnight. Um, He had swallowed what we believe is a tampon, and it was lodged in his stomach and small intestines, so he had to have a really gruesome cut uh, of his tummy. And he's doing much better now, but it was a scary couple of days because there can always be complications with that. I always get scared when I put him under. It was it was traumatizing. And then literally a week to the day after his surgery was my surgery. So again, I, I had told you guys I was going to take off, you know, at least a week for that. But again, it turned into two weeks because of everything going on with Gurgi. And I am also recovering from my nose surgery. And Gurgi and I funny enough, got our stitches out on the very same day. So it was a great day for both of us. I got my cast off, my stitches out. He got his stitches out. We started to feel more like ourselves at that point. And I have to say, so I got a septorhinoplasty, if you don't remember. So, you know, I did a rhinoplasty for more of the aesthetic side of things and then a septoplasty to help me breathe better. And as you can probably still hear, I'm quite congested and clogged up still. So Hopefully each week I'll be sounding a little bit better. But I'm telling you guys, that surgery was no joke. Everything I was reading ahead of time was kind of like, oh, it'll just feel like really congested. It's more of an uncomfortable thing. It's not pain. No, it was pain. It was. It felt like there was a 375-pound man sitting on my face, bending my nose to the side. It was just so much pressure. The cast was so uncomfortable. And as I kept saying to sweet Kenzie, who, bless her, took care of me while I was down and out. It, there becomes a point where you're so uncomfortable that it is pain because everything is uncomfortable. And I had never been under general anesthesia before. Like I've never had any anesthesia, not local, any kind. I've never even had laughing gas. And it was brutal, man. <laughs> so I won't bo- bore you with the details of all of that. But again, I am sorry that I was out for a little while. That's what was going on. And literally as I was recovering, that's when the news about Roe v. Wade came out. And let's just say, I don't think that helped my spirits much, you know? So I know it's been sort of a tough time in the, in the world, especially in the, in the U S uh, as of late, but again, you know, we're here to cheer everyone up. So in good news, Lindsay Lohan is married. So if you're keeping track, that means that Britney Spears, Lindsay Lohan, and Paris Hilton are all married. I mean, it's it's a 2006 dream come true. Do you guys remember of that picture of them all together in the car? It's a paparazzi picture, and they're all like squeezed in a car together. <laughs> later, years later, Paris famously said that it was awkward when Lindsay got into the car with them, but they were all club rats at the same time. They definitely hung out. They definitely were acquaintances, and Paris and Britney were obviously friends. Paris was at Britney's wedding. So I just think, you know... 2022, if nothing else, it has it has allowed our idols of the early aughts to find love. Hope and hopefully they all last. Hopefully they are all you know on the up and up, just like Kirky and me. Oh my gosh, guys! I finished Stranger Things this, I guess yesterday. The part two came out, and I love that show so much. I think I'm really gonna cry when the whole series is over. I'm not one to rewatch things, but I want to go back and like rewatch them all. They're such a comfort show for me. I know people think they're scary, but I, I just love them. It's like nostalgia for a time before I was even born. And if you haven't watched it yet, please watch it and like discuss your thoughts with me because I keep asking if people have watched it because I'm like I want to discuss. And the only person who I know that I speak to regularly that's finished it is my sister Kenzie and we watched it together. So we've already had all our thoughts, you know. I'm also watching at the recommendation of my friend Abby, uh, a series called The Bear. It's on Hulu. It's about um, a greasy spoon and a chef of the deceased brother who owned it taking over and trying to, you know, revamp it. I'm only on, I'm on episode five. They're very short. There's only eight episodes. But if you are looking for something after you finish Stranger Things to watch, that is my current recommendation. Okay, another thing that happened while I was off the grid was that Ghislaine Maxwell, 
Maxwell was finally sentenced and she got 20 years in prison. And if you need a refresher on who Ghislaine is, she was one of Jeffrey Epstein's accomplices and has sort of been where, you know, people feel like they're getting retribution because of Jeffrey Epstein no longer being here. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if this is really enough for what she did, but let's let's talk about the sentencing. So the judge sentenced her to as many as 20 years in prison. This happened on June 28th, and there's also a $750,000 fine added, which was the legal maximum. Before announcing her decision, the judge said her sentence, quote, must reflect the gravity of Miss Maxwell's conduct. And uh, the judge said, that Maxwell directly and repeatedly and over the course of many years participated in a horrific scheme in which she played a, quote, pivotal role in helping Epstein select young victims who were vulnerable. It's important to emphasize that although Epstein was central to this criminal scheme, Miss Maxwell is not being punished in place of Epstein or as a proxy for Epstein. So I think it's interesting she pointed that out because I think a lot of people are seeing it this way, like I just said, because she's kind of like the one who is left that we are aware of, even though obviously so many other people were involved in this. Uh, the judge called the crimes heinous and predatory, and she, with that all being said, still left open the possibility of an early release on good behavior or time shaved off the total to account for the two years that Maxwell has already spent behind bars. So basically giving her credit for uh, time served. But, you know, I think it's at least that chapter is closed and uh, Gieslaine has finally been sentenced. Oh my gosh, guys, this next story. I don't even know where to start. The story appeared in the LA Times. It's written by Amy Kaufman and Meg James. And it is about Randall Emmett. And it says, The man who played Hollywood inside Randall Emmett's crumbling empire. I believe the last time we talked about Randall is when he was going through his uh, breakup with Lala Kent. Lala Kent, as you may or may not know, is one of the stars on Vanderpump Rules. She, it's always been a storyline, her relationship with Randall. At the very beginning, he was still with his wife legally. And so that was a storyline where she would not mention him, that she, she wouldn't admit to dating him on the show. But they very much were. Uh, she had a tattoo with his name. It said Rand. It now says brand new. Very creative uh, little change there. Honestly, her getting that tattoo made me realize if you're ever going to get someone's name on you, make sure that the first letter is not capitalized because now it's like capital B, capital R and new, you know, like if if it was lowercase, it would blend in way better. So they've dated for a while at this point. Um, They have a child together. And a few months ago, there was pictures of him out with women in Nashville And it was at that point that I think Lala finally realized that he was cheating on her. But, you know, that's kind of the ironic part because uh, obviously he was cheating on his wife with Lala. So, you know, make of that what you will. I don't think this was coming as a shocker to anyone. But this is a very long article and it just kind of goes into all of the problematic things surrounding Randall and how his quote empire is following because he is a movie producer. And I've always been kind of interested about how his movies get made. And they were just an enigma to me because they would have a few big names in them. Uh, famously Bruce Willis, which we'll get into that in a bit. Al Pacino. Uh, he recently did one with MGK and Megan Fox. He was actually a producer on The Irishman. And I was like, how is this guy with Scorsese? Because I've seen actually his movie um, that Lala starred in, which I actually think she's a great actress. I would love to see her in more videos. I remember I talked about that movie on here. It's called The Row. It's a like sorority slasher movie. Corny, but again, I thought she did really well in it. So I was just like, he makes these trash, like straight to streaming videos. How is he getting these big names? And it's really all kind of a scam because what he does is he just gets these big names on. And because of that, he's able to get more money. And that's one of the jobs of a producer, obviously, is raising funds for their their movie to be made. And because he would have these big names behind him, even if he was making this trash movie, he realized that if he has a name like Bruce Willis, he could get his movies to be very popular overseas and get enough money that all of the money would be made back that all of his investors had put in to give these stars the big paychecks that would lure them to the movie. So it was just kind of this all around scheme that theoretically was supposed to benefit everyone. But as we get into this article, you'll see a lot of this was all a facade. So 
this article starts out with really setting the scene because we have Randall on the set of Midnight and the Switchgrass, which was a film that Bruce Willis was in. And if if you follow the news at all, you'll know that recently Bruce Willis came out um, as having aphasia and that has been really affecting his career. It's, uh, you know, a mental issue. I, I feel like you kind of liken it to like an Alzheimer's or something because you your mental processes just can't work. You can't process language in the way you're used to. And it talks about how on uh, this movie, Midnight in the Switchgrass, that Bruce Willis was having a voice come through his earpiece to coach him through his lines. He would have stunt coordinators who kind of gently tried to guide him. But in this particular situation, uh, Willis was not understanding that he needed to kick down a door. And this is according to crew members who were on set who who spoke for this article. I think Amy, who did this, she she talked to so many sources uh, throughout this. And, you know, Willis is very confused. He's asking, did I do something wrong when people are kind of storming off set because he can't get it correct that he's supposed to kick down this door. And so Lala says that that night, Randall called her crying and he said, I can't do this anymore. It's just so sad. Bruce can't remember any of his lines. He doesn't know where he is. But here's the kicker. In the 15 months after filming Midnight in the Switchgrass, Randall made five more movies with Bruce Willis. So Randall, throughout this, through his representatives, through himself, he's denied much of what is in this article. So I just have to put that out there that according to Randall, a lot of this is allegedly. But again, it's very well sourced. And obviously, the LA Times is a very reputable news source. So he says that this conversation with Lala did not occur and that he was not aware of, quote, any of the decline in Mr. Willis's health. But again, a lot of people who are on set, you know, say otherwise, and that it was basically an open secret on movie sets. There was a property master on it who said the stunt coordinator had mentioned that he was struggling. The first AD saw him struggling, and she says, you'd have to be blind to not see him struggling. And as we mentioned earlier, in March of this year, uh, when it came out that he had aphasia, his family announced that his career would be ending. But again, Willis was used in a pawn of all of this to sell films around the world. And since 2006, Bruce has occurred in two dozen of the firm's projects. So the firm that Emmett owns is called Emmett Furla Oasis. His partner's last name is Furla. And then there was a funder who came in called Oasis. So the name is Emmett Furla Oasis. So then Amy kind of gives an overview about, like I said, how he was originally making straight-to-DVD movies, but then with the success of The Irishman and kind of getting in Scorsese's back pocket, he was getting a little more notoriety, a little more legitimacy in Hollywood. But as she writes, a review of hundreds of court filings and internal company records, she did interviews with three dozen former associates depicts an empire that is crumbling. He's facing lawsuits, mounting debts, allegations of abuse against women, assistants, and business partners. He's accused of inappropriate behavior with women, including offering acting work in exchange for sexual favors and of forcing assistants to conduct dangerous and illegal activity on his behalf. And I'm telling you guys, these stories that we're going to get into, oh my God. And again, his spokeswoman denies these allegations. So, he used many tactics, allegedly, to keep these allegations secret. He would have NDAs. He would promise payments to former accusers. One was in the amount of $200,000. Currently, his company is facing nearly a dozen lawsuits. One's from financiers, an insurance company, a prior landlord. All of them want to be paid they're outstanding loans. And apparently the loans in total are over 25 million. Uh, many of the lawsuits accuse his company of misrepresentation and civil fraud. And then there's even been some law cases against him that have already been won. So there was one by the Writers Guild of American West. They won a 541,000 judgment against the EFO. That's the Emma Emmett Furla Oasis, we're going to call it EFO, uh, they won that judgment against them because they were claiming that the writers were shortchanged for their work on one of Emmett's projects. And this is an ongoing theme that people who work on his movies are allegedly not being paid correctly for their work that was done. A writer said this was like his normal mode of business is just being sketchy. He just spins plates in the air and he doesn't care how they end up crashing. So learning about some of his background, there was things I was not aware of. For example, 
his distant cousin is Jerry Bruckheimer, who did Top Gun, Pirates of the Caribbean. So he was able to intern him after he graduated. And then shortly after that, he was working as an assistant at a talent agency, and he got a job as Mark Wahlberg's assistant. And as the article writes, this became central to his origin story. And uh, there's theories, rumors that the character Turtle in the film, sorry, in the TV series Entourage was partially inspired by Randall because, you know, that was supposedly inspired by Mark Wahlberg's life. People say that Turtle was kind of an amalgamation of Mark Wahlberg's assistance, but, you know, he's never confirmed or denied that this is loosely based on him, and I think he's kind of played into that theory for a while. Okay, and another interesting story. The reason he was able to be a producer on The Irishman by Martin Scorsese is because a few years before, Martin Scorsese had been trying to get financing for 15 years for a project about Portuguese Jesuit priests that were investigating Catholic persecution. I've never even heard of this movie. It's called Silence, and apparently it starred uh, Andrew Garfield and Adam Driver. So I would have thought that would have got way more hype. Maybe it did, but I just, I've never heard of it. So Randall goes to this meeting with Martin, and apparently Martin said, why should I make these movies with you? And Randall said, because you're the man and I'll do whatever the fuck you say, basically. And according to Randall, Martin was like, I love this kid. All right, give him the movie. And the firm ended up raising $46.5 million for the film. And apparently the Times gave this great reviews. It said it was a masterwork of spiritual inquiry. And because Randall helped back that movie, he got a producing credit, which led to his producing credit on The Irishman, which was a Netflix movie. But like I said, it got a lot of award nominations and was even nominated for multiple Oscars. One of the things that's very contentious in the article is Lala claims that after the whole thing where she discovered the photos of him in Nashville and she confronted him about it and tried to see his phone... She grabbed the phone away from him, and then she says, He ran after me, tackled me, and knocked me to the ground. I used every ounce of strength to get him off of me as he was trying to pry it from my hands. That was when I knew for sure that there was a lot he was hiding. She also used this claim in her request for custody of their daughter, Ocean. So five people confirmed that Lala told them about this incident, but Randall, of course, denies that this occurred, and their longtime nanny said that quote, neither was on the ground. So again, clearly this is very allegedly he said, she said, but make of it what you will. Now, Randall's spokesperson makes a lot of questionable statements, in my opinion, throughout this article. She claims that Lala just tries to keep her name in the press and remain relevant in reality television. And while I think that's true, there's always game playing with TV stars. I don't think that, you know, this was really what Lala had in mind. I don't think like ending her relationship with the man she had a child with and alleging physical abuse was, I don't know. To me, that just doesn't smell right. So then it goes on to detail these women who were subjected to the creepiness and disgustingness that is allegedly Randall. So one girl says he rolled up to her in his Rolls Royce while she was walking on Ventura Boulevard. And he was like, I'm not a creep. I promise I'm a movie producer. You can Google me. Please Google me. Um, And then there was another, which I mean, that's pretty innocuous, but just giving you the vibe of kind of his creepiness and that clearly he was, you know, trying to cheat on Lala There was another performer who was 23. She had some minor TV credits to her name. And then she met Randall. And this woman alleges that Randall said that to receive acting work from him, she would have to perform sexual favors. And he, quote, said, yes, one day of work and you need to fuck me, hun. He has a very distinct way of texting, which I've seen in screenshots of DMs and text messages with him. It's bordering on illiterate words are smushed together where they shouldn't be it's very shorthand brisk a lot of sexual language so the way this is worded i 1000 percent think this is him just because it matches up with literal other screenshots i've seen of how he types it's almost a hard thing to copy the way he he writes for example it says you as in just the letter you need to fuck me one word hun h-u-n you know it's like it's a distinct way of speaking 
So the same woman also alleges that she gave Randall massages, oral sex, and allowed him to digitally penetrate her, and he she stood nude in his office while he masturbated. Is there, like, a guidebook for creeps in Hollywood? Because why is it always massages? Why is it always masturbating in front of the woman? Like, it's textbook at this point. I'm like, do they just all teach each other? Or is this, just, like, they just all happen to get off the same way? It's so creepy and disgusting. So this was... Uh, apparently the situation where Randall agreed to pay $200,000 over the course of two years to settle this with this woman. Then just two months after the settlement in that case was finalized, Randall sent unsolicited Instagram messages to a 30 year old woman in Vegas. Um, and it was very clear from her Instagram account that she had a boyfriend. He would message her from his actual account. He would set the messages to vanished mode, which on Instagram means that your messages will you know, permanently delete after a certain amount of time, like w- once they're seen by both users. And he asked her to fuck on the DL, do heroin and meth, among other things. And she didn't respond and she was super alarmed, but she took pictures of the Instagram messages. And again, if you're a Vanderpump fan, I found this little story fascinating as well. So, you know, when Vanderpump Rules was filming, the producers wanted to include Randall on the show, but because he was still married to Amber Childers, who, fun fact, she is on you. She played uh, one of the ex-girlfriends of Joe. So Randall suggests that Lala meets with one of his attorneys and she brings along her mother and during it, she says that the attorney put a stack of papers in front of them and saying that Lala would receive $14,000 in exchange for keeping her relationship with Randall a secret. And at that point, her and her mom were like, we're done and they left the office. But even after this, even though she didn't take the offer, she ended the relationship with him apparently at that time but then once the divorce with amber was finalized they got back into a relationship so that was new news to me i don't know if that's how it actually went down but i think if you're a watcher of vanderpump rules that is kind of a fun interesting uh timeline of events there's also apparently a woman in florida who was also in a relationship with randall which he also denies So again, there's just multiple allegations from multiple women about what a creep he was. And then it moves on to speaking about his assistants and how poorly they were treated. One of them, her name was Anna. She worked as his assistant for about a year. There was a time when they were playing ping pong and allegedly Randall threw a paddle so hard that the office window cracked. And his thing is like, oh, it was just all in good fun. He doesn't deny that this happened and that the window broke, but he says it wasn't an aggressive thing, but I'm sorry. Anytime something is thrown and something breaks, like that's scary. And people in the office, like basically back up this woman's story of how it happened. And they say, you know, there was definite bro culture in the office. There was nude pictures of Marilyn Monroe that were framed. The same woman who witnessed this ping pong incident said that at one point, Randall said he didn't like working with women because he felt they weren't emotionally strong. And this poor girl, apparently at one point she summons to his house just to bring him like muscle milk or some bullshit. And when she gets there, he's fully visible in the front glass of the house, lying naked on the couch. So understandably, she was uncomfortable and disturbed. And then there was, oh God, on top of seeing him lying naked on the couch, she's also been subjected to seeing him urinate with the door open and he has had his back share shaved in the office on the carpet. So he denies this through his spokeswoman. He says that the door was only open if he was taking a drug test and it was only supposed to be seen by the person who was watching him take the drug test. Uh, But again, I think if, you know, based on the earlier allegations of the massages and, you know, people him masturbating while people stand naked this falls very in line with these other creeps and what they would want women to do so i don't think it's out of the question that he would be purposely lying naked or purposely peeing with the door open top of all of this apparently a lot of his assistants were forced to put his own personal expenses on their personal credit cards and the amounts of thousands of dollars one of one of the people who had to do this his name was martin he was an assistant one point Randall wanted his poker table, he's a big poker player, shipped to Puerto Rico. So Martin had to put the $1,250 charge on his personal card to ship the table. 
the LA Times has, you know, the receipts, they see the bank charts. So this clearly happened. Now the argument is whether this was reimbursed. People on Emmett's team say that any of these personal charges were ultimately reimbursed by the company, but they deny that they were ever paid back for this. There was other times where they would have to book suites on their card that they say that they were never paid back for. The same assistant, Martin, Randall apparently had him go to his hotel room and was like, I need you to get the thing out of my safe and bring it to me. When he opened it up, it was basically this huge block of cocaine that he then had to carry in the car to Randall. And as he says, he's like, I'm a black man and you're making me do this and I'm terrified. On top of this, he would always just send his assistants really nasty texts saying like, if you do that again, you're fired, you're a moron, do something with the zits on your face, you're fucking lazy, just disgusting shit. Okay, so then it talks about the business model and it says that their business model relied heavily on tax credits and paying millions of aging stars and then pushing their films in foreign markets, including the Middle East, Russia and Turkey, where audiences remained eager to see American humans smash bad guys. The bigger the name, the bigger the foreign presales, which meant more investment and more money that everyone, actors, agents and producers could grab. And according to internal emails, Bruce's Bruce Willis's standard fee was $2 million for two days works. And then they also obtained some contract details for Robert De Niro and Al Pacino. Robert De Niro was getting $11 million for eight production days, you know, round trip private jets, ability to retain all of his costumes that were used, travel per diem, vacations for seven days for his family at the Ritz Carlton, which I honestly don't know why you need that reimbursed when you're already getting 11 million, but okay, go off. Um, after the Puerto Rico vacation, De Niro could request jets to an additional Caribbean location for a vacation for about up to two weeks. And if he didn't want to do that, um, the jet could take his family back to New York and he could then request the jet at any point in the next 12 months to take him to the Caribbean. And while he was on that Caribbean vacation, um, expenses up to $100,000 would be paid for him. So again, these (laughs) actors were getting very nicely compensated, which explains why they were on these trash, like straight to DVD videos and kind of how the whole, I'm going to call it a scam, (laughs) like how the whole scam worked. And apparently one of the biggest investors on his films was this woman named Meadow Williams. She had inherited a ton of money and she had only had small parts in shows, but Then once she got all this money, she inherited $800 million when her husband died. She was able to invest in Randall's projects. So they would be assured roles, her and her boyfriend, in a lot of the projects that Randall did. And people who've seen these movies say that she is so awful and they couldn't even understand why she was in it. Well, there you go. This is why. Because she was basically buying her way into these positions. She was so bad that Al Pacino wrote an email to Randall being saying, my thought, Randall, is very simple. She's not a professional. Someone has to say, back off a second, dear. We're completing the film still. Take a look when it's ready. And he even suggested adding another shooting day to help her give a better performance. He says, let's do this. I'm not going for the A's or the B's. I'm going for something between C and B. Like literally Al Pacino's like, I know this is not going to be fantastic. Like throw me a bone just so we could get this to a passing grade. I don't like D's. And as long as you put the effort in with what you know about filmmaking and Michael too, I'm sure we'll get it to a B minus. And that's good enough for me if it's good enough for you. Literally Al Pacino's like, please just don't like make this literally an embarrassment can we just get it a little bit up there and if you follow this drama at all you'll recall back in 2019 there was a big blow up between randall and 50 cent because 50 cent produced some things with randall including the show power and 50 was saying that he wasn't getting appropriately paid there was all these texts that you know 50 cent basically publicized between him and Randall. That's another reason I know how Randall texts. And, you know, very embarrassing for Randall. To the point that when Randall found out that cast members on Vanderpump Rules were talking about this whole 
shindig that went down between him and 50, he reached out to Ron Meyer, who at the time was the vice chairman of NBC Universal, which is the company that owns Vanderpump. And he begged him to like get this segment off the show. He said if they mention him anywhere in the show that the antics will start again and that could destroy his career. He wrote that in an email. So in exchange for the favor, Randall told Meyer, the guy at NBC, that to thank him, if the Irishman won at the Oscars, he would reserve him uh, tickets for the premiere. So I'm like, wow, like the straight on bribes that happen in Hollywood. I mean, it's it's not surprising, but at the same time it is. But again, shortly after this in 2019, that's when all of these debts sort of kind of coming to a head and all these investors were saying they weren't being appropriately paid for, you know, the principle that they had put in. There's a story about how all these people were excited for this project that was going to talk about Arnold Schwarzenegger's younger years and Venice when he was bodybuilding. And everyone who was in on the project thought that it had already been confirmed that Arnold would be starring in it. But then it was like, oh, yeah, we just need to get Arnold on board. And everyone was like, what the hell? So, I mean, at this point, the lawsuits are just piling up. Apparently, since 2010, there's been 30 lawsuits against the production company, uh, American Express, has sued for almost $400,000. Last year, Randall had to settle nearly $400,000 in debt to the IRS. And some of the filings claim that, you know, Emmett was paying himself really inflated production fees, which kind of explains how he was able to be so showy and have all this money. Like, he was just paying himself more than really he had the funds to pay himself. So I'm sorry that took so long to go through all that. But again, the twists and turns in that article. Oh, I mean, it is a doozy. I hope I hit like most of the high points for you guys. I just believe he's this much of a dirtbag. One thousand percent. I mean, if you know anything about this man, it it gives me skeevy. Like, I think he can come across as like, well, I get why he's able to like bamboozle all these people because I find him kind of entertaining and likable and like in a way but again once you started seeing his text and how he speaks to people behind the scenes versus what he presents as a front it becomes very clear that he's he's not it (laughs) okay i know we've been speaking a lot about court cases with elaine and and randall but i wanted a little update on the amber heard johnny depp case she's filed a new motion claiming that the verdict of defamation was not supported by evidence she asked the judge to either set aside the verdict dismiss the complaint or order a new trial and based on the documents that were filed uh amber heard's team claims that the jury verdict including the over 10 million dollars that were awarded to depp were not supported by evidence and specifically they stressed that depp's role in the pirates franchise was not affected by the op-ed additionally and i think this is kind of crazy it claims that one of the jurors was reportedly listed in the court list as having been born in 1945 but the document claims that the juror was clearly born later than 1945 and suggesting that he was actually born in 1970, and that this discrepancy raises the question whether Juror 15 actually received a summons for jury duty and was properly vetted by the court to serve on the jury. Which I'm like, that's kind of wild. I mean, did this person just show up saying that he had been summoned and he wasn't? Did he have the same name? Was there some sort of confusion in in that respect? I, I don't. I just don't even know how something like this would happen. All right, let's get into our first New York Mag cut articles of the day. Okay, y'all know I love talking about what celebrities can't live without. So we have one for Sabrina Carpenter. And you probably know Sabrina Carpenter most likely from the Joshua Bassett, Olivia Rodrigo alleged love triangle. We went in depth in on that. That's the only notable thing I really know about her. I mean, I don't mean to diminish her accomplishments like that, but I'm just putting it out there. Anyways, I thought she had one of the most interesting things on her list, and that is bounty paper towels. And before you ask if she's sponsored by Bounty, I don't believe she is. She says this is probably the most important on the whole list because one day I was going on a road trip and my mom put a roll of paper towels in my car and I was like, Mom, why do I need this? She was like, Sabrina, you will always need a roll of paper towels wherever you go. You never know what's going to spill. You never know what you're going to need to clean up. You just never know. And I was like, okay, fair enough. And I was like, I'm not going to need these. When I tell you, I used the entire roll in like two days. And I was like, oh my gosh, she's so right. Like I didn't even realize how much I use paper towels, how much I need them. But apparently I'm a little clumsy and these have really come in handy. There have been many times 
that I've been singing in the car and gotten carried away and knocked over a beverage or two. So I highly recommend having them always with an eyesight, at least if you're me. You know, she might be onto something, first of all. Second of all, um, I do be spilling stuff quite a lot in my car. It's usually of the sticky variety because I'll be getting like an ice cream that I obviously can't wait till I get home to eat. So I'm just sitting there trying to drive while I eat my ice cream and it's spilling all over the place. Um, I've also been known to spill a drink or two once or twice. So, you know, I I think this is something I can get behind, but... A paper towel is just kind of an unsightly thing in the car. I feel like I need a little paper towel container. So maybe that should be Sabrina's next thing is just um, built-in paper towel containers for your car. But if she doesn't do that, she really does need to get a bounty endorsement. I mean, if I've ever seen a beg for an endorsement before, this is one. Okay, our next article, frankly, has me a little bit shook, regretting all my life decisions, feeling like that should be me by Justin Bieber should be playing in the background, because it's called The Fangirls Deserve Your Respect by Naomi Ellis. And it talks about a woman by the name of Caitlin Tiffany and how she has a new book called Everything I Need I Get From You, How Fangirls Created the Internet As We Know It. If you know anything about me, I am a fangirl. I'm a big supporter of fangirls. I think and talk about all the time how I hate how teenage girls' opinions are overlooked, but yet, um, you know, the capitalistic society so depends on their buying habits and what they're doing and what they like, yet, again, their opinions are belittled and thought to be less than, and the whole phenomenon that if something's considered a boy band, it's considered less than and, like, unacceptable to like, and I think that really stems back to the fact that it's young girls who like it. So this was speaking to me, and... She says, the criticism of fangirls is that they become tragically selfish and one selfless, sorry, and one track minded. The evidence available everywhere I look is that they become self-aware and creatively free. So I was like, this girl is one of us. She is a fangirl. She's a self-proclaimed one direction fangirl and apparently looked a lot to her time on Tumblr when she was writing this book. And it says that the book positions fangirling as a pivotal subcultural movement and explores all facets of it, from the analysis of the screaming fangirl trope used to malign them, to look at how fangirls have turned fandom into a business and all the myriad ways they've leveraged their passion into very real political and social power. And then I thought it was great because they brought up the example of Maylin Lee, who's the young girl in Turning Red. We spoke about it on here and she's obsessed with this boy band called Four Town and how that's such a driving force in her life and her love for the band uh, propels the movie forward and it shows how, as they write here, well-organized, mission-driven and relentlessly innovative fangirls can be and I've always thought that. I mean, how many times on here have I said, if you want something done, get the fangirls to do it because sometimes being singularly focused gets shit done. And, you know, people saw themselves in May and the kind of cringe, embarrassing nature of it. And it really sparked something inside of them. I know it did for me. I think that's a huge reason why I really loved that movie because the the director of it is around my age and I just saw myself in May. And I think so many young women and boys can see themselves in her. So it also talks about this conversation she had with this author who wrote something called Textual Poachers. And he said there was early ideas about what people were doing with television, which was just sitting on the couch, being a zombie, receiving it, but not taking into account that a lot of people were actually taking this and making it their own. They were writing fan fiction. They were doing cosplay. And he talks about how fandom exists outside of the passive or expected fan behavior of spending money on a commodity that's being created for them by the entertainment industry, then marketed to them in this one-way relationship and how they kind of, you know, go outside of that all the time. And specifically when you're talking about boy band fandoms, this article notes how there's this stereotype, you know, of these little girls who just want to get, you know, a life-size cutout of Harry Styles and that you're basically just a capitalist pawn, you're wasting time, you're being frivolous. And while that is true and, you know, there there is an element of that, it's not accounting for the fact that there is true joy sometimes in having that merch or having that cutout and that that's really just one expression of something that people feel deep inside it says it's just one outward expression of something that's really personal and complicated and it says fans are interested in the industry they're interested in how it works 
So, you know, just the fact that they're buying merch is not what it means to be a fangirl. And so I'm, I'm very excited to read this book because she said she reached out to people like on a survey and over 300 people responded and she ended up speaking to a lot of these girls who responded. I'm, I'm just generalizing. I think most of them identify as girls. But I also thought this story was so touching. It says, the author says, I love that fangirling is something you bonded with over your mother. For her, it was Bruce Springsteen for you, 1D. What did that experience teach you about fangirling as a generational practice? And, you know, the author of the book describes that she didn't really understand her mom being into Bruce Springsteen. Like, she just remembers her mom listening to it and zoning out. And I thought this was very perceptive. She said she would feel a little distant from her when she did this, but not in a negative way, but maybe in a child's way of starting to understand that your mom is a person, which I always think is such an odd feeling when you really start to realize that your your parents are human beings and they're, you know, they can fail and they're not these perfect. Like I thought my mom was just this perfect being for so long. And once I started to realize that she is a human, it, it is kind of a crazy thing to come to see and so you know she talks about how once she understood intense fandom it helped her understand her mom more even though the way her mom and her experience fandom were completely different since the internet wasn't really around when her mom was you know being an original Bruce Springsteen fan and she tells a sweet story about how she had a heartbreak in her early 20s and as she was super heartbroken she hears the Springsteen song that her mom had really loved And she says, you know, I'll never understand what my mom was like as a teenager and she will never understand exactly what I'm feeling right now, but we can both understand what is transcendent about this song. And that's what I always love about entertainment and and I feel like it's why I like doing this because, you know, all of these things can connect people in a way that's not superficial or isn't just this frivolous superfluous thing so I just thought that was really sweet and I wanted to share it with you guys so I hope we can all read it um honestly maybe I should ask her to come on here because I would love to speak with her that might be I'm gonna write a little note to myself all right guys since I took such a hiatus in June I wasn't done talking about pride stuff so I you know it feels like we just got to get this story in as well. And it says Becca Tilly gets her rose coming out to bachelor nation. Wasn't easy, but it sure felt good by Katie Heaney. Now, as a matter of course, I don't discuss bachelor bachelorette contestants very often on here, but again, I was just really feeling like the sweet stories. I needed a palate cleanser after Randall Emmett. (laughs) And I've always had a soft spot for Becca because she was on some of the seasons that I actually watched, like Chris Soule's season and Ben Higgins' season. She was on both of those. And that was back when I still watched it pretty religiously, and now I don't watch it at all. So it's, I feel like I, you know, relate more to Becca than I do the more current ones, just because she's more familiar to me. But, um... (laughs) She, for a while, a lot of people have speculated that she's in a relationship with the singer Haley Kiyoko. And I've touched on this before on here. I mean, months and months ago, I think I just talked about it briefly, how it was rumored that they were together. And I'm a big Haley Kiyoko fan. She has some catchy ass songs. And I think I thought it was really cute. I thought they made an adorable couple. And I totally believe they were together because, um, you know, Becca would not use her partner's pronouns on her podcast uh she referred to Haley with a code name but then just recently Haley came out with a bachelor themed video for her song called for the girls it's the uh single from her upcoming album and during the video you know Becca's in it and then at the video release party Haley had Becca come on stage. She gave her a rose and she kissed her and the moment went viral on TikTok. And then Becca posted a confirmation of their relationship on Instagram, Instagram the next day. And by the way, Haley has been out as a lesbian since 2015. And, um, Becca titled her post hard to say if this is a hard or soft launch, but it's a launch kind of poking fun at the fact that a lot of people knew her and Haley were together And she said, you know, she wanted to make it clear that her relationship with Haley was never a secret. It was private and there's a difference between the two. And, you know, I think Becca kind of goes into the reason she was worried about that is because of the storyline she had on The Bachelor, because at that time she was a virgin. And so when she was in a relationship with a man before Haley, who was another guy in Bachelor Nation, Robert Graham, 
and she wasn't a virgin anymore, she felt like, did I let people down who looked up to me for that reason? And she just felt a lot of pressure from that. And, you know, I, I feel for her in that. I think that that's hard. And a lot of people point out that, you know, this was also like, she has kind of a conservative fan base and wanting to appeal to them. But I don't know, the older I get and the more I read, I'm just like, I think when people just make this a sound like it's a business decision the person's making it's just so much more complicated than that and I think for so long and I've touched on this before talking about you know why stars don't come out or why they do or when they decide to do it and it's so much more than just a money thing even though that's a huge element of it and of course people should be able to protect their privacy and their their ability to make money but it's just a big decision to make and it's scary and I think as much as we can think things are better now you know as this article points out we just had Clarence Thomas and and the decision saying that he wants to re-examine the court case that allowed same-sex marriage so you know again I just I I totally can see why people wait and don't want to say this beyond just oh yeah it's a business decision oh she doesn't want to lose sponsorship like there's so much more to it than that Okay, sorry, get on my high horse a little bit there. But I also love this story about how she ran into Chriselle Staus from uh, Selling Sunset. They were at a Fletcher show, and Haley was performing at that show. And Becca's talking to Chriselle, and she said, my girlfriend's coming out. And then later in the night, Chriselle was like, so are you dating anybody? And Becca was like, that happens all the time. Like, I literally will say she's my girlfriend. But I think because girls a lot of times will casually use girlfriend to mean a friend that is a girl – like it just went over her head because she didn't know that Becca was dating a woman. And it's just funny because a few weeks after they met, that's when Chris started dating G flip who uh, is non-binary. And then they had a little like foursome date after that. So I thought again, I just, I'm really going for the heartstrings right here. You know, I just think that's so cute. But then I also wanted to talk about this because um, in our last episode, we talked about how Rebel Wilson came out with her relationship with a woman. What I didn't know and what gets brought up in this article, because Becca's saying it was horrible what happened to Rebel, that basically Rebel Wilson was bullied by an Australian newspaper to come out. And Rebel has kind of a long history of being kind of bullied by Australian newspaper, and she is Australian. So I'm like, can we cut her a break? Damn. Um. So what happened was a few days after rebel made her announcement uh the sydney morning herald published a column by this man named andrew hornery claiming that the outlet had been planning on breaking the news of wilson's relationship with her girlfriend and apparently the paper reached out to rebel for comment on thursday morning giving her a two-day window to respond before publishing and he said big mistake um accusing the actor of choosing to quote gazump the story by announcing the news herself even though obviously that's completely her right to do so and i think she made the right decision for doing so because when you're making a really personal decision like that it should be yours to publish it when you want to and i mean damn like i just and and this guy just doubled down and and the worst part is Maybe not the worst part. All of it's bad. But this man is a gay man. You'd think if anyone would have some empathy for this situation, he would. Anyways, back to Becca. Um, You know, she was very scared. She was just, like, thinking of all the worst things that could happen. She would see when other people would come out and look at their Instagram comments and see how horrible people would be. And it was terrifying for her. And she says, you know, people were actually really kind and people were rooting for her to find love they and they were rooting for her happiness but I love this part because she catches herself saying all this and then she says these people were also rooting for me to get engaged in eight weeks they may not have the best perspective in all cases so loved the self-awareness of that wish the best for Haley and Becca I think they're adorable I love it I've loved it since I heard about it forever ago all right We've made it to our blind item of the day, and I thought this one was very fitting because it involves a few players that we've talked about. Okay, as usual, I'm going to read the whole blind itself and then plug it in with the names provided. As usual, this is from Crazy Days and Nights. Take it with a grain of salt. It's a blind item. 
Okay, so it turns out that the married producer that the former almost A-list mostly movie actress turned escort slash reality star was hooking up with during the reality show she filmed several years ago and wouldn't discuss on the show is the one who has been in the news as of late with his more recent reality star girlfriend. The only question is whether the vehicle from before was given to the escort or if it was another mistress. This is about Randall Emmett, Lindsay Lohan, and Lala Kent from Vanderpump Rules. So to plug it back in, it turns out that Randall Emmett and Lindsay Lohan were hooking up during her reality show and wouldn't discuss the relationship on that show. And it was kind of like history is repeating itself with Lala because as we spoke about, she couldn't discuss Randall on her, the first season uh, where they were dating. And, and then it says the only question is whether the vehicles from before was given to the escort or if it was another mistress. So I guess kind of saying that the vehicle that Lindsay got, whether that was the same one that Lala got, or I'm sorry, the, the one that Lala got was recycled from Lindsay. I could be reading this completely wrong. This is what I take from all of this. I'm also thinking the reality show is the one in Mykonos, but this blind came out in 2019 and that show also came out in 2019 so i'm not sure what um previous reality show of Lindsay's it's speaking about but i just thought that was a fun little one since Lindsay's married now we have all the randall image drama you know oh and i did want to talk about the dakota johnson vanity fair article and the brad pitt gq article but we've already gone long so i think i will save that for next week if we feel like it's still relevant if there's nothing else really juicy that's come up and I'm sorry that this is coming out on a Tuesday. I swear, guys, I know I've, I've been on this hiatus and then not coming out on the right day. But honestly, it's because I went to go record last night and there were so many fireworks and the dogs were freaking out. That I'm like, I just have to put it off till today just to give you guys a little bit of peace and quiet beyond my voice. And I guess we've made it to our legit shit for the day. And this one is for Harry House, uh, Harry Styles' recent album. I know it didn't just come out or anything, but we recently got it on record from the record store and it just sounds so good. My grandma was at my house the other day and we were playing the record and she's like, this is Harry Styles. And we're like, yeah, she's like, this is really good. And like another song would come out. She'd be like, is this still Harry Styles? And I swear there was like four times she was like, this is still Harry Styles. She's like, this is incredible. And I'm like, yeah, it's so good. And it really does sound good on record. We got it at our local record store, but I'm just putting in a urban outfitters link for you if you want to do it that way but i really recommend it if you have a record player and speaking of i we actually have an audio technica that's what everyone in our family uses my brother has one my dad has one my sister has one and i use audio technica for my microphone as well so i think they make pretty like good range of affordability turntables and i mean you can't go wrong with a harry album right all right thank you guys so much for listening and i'll see you next week bye